Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. This is Ethan Halfide, host of the Customer Discover Cast. Today we're here with Raj Goodman, who is the founder of Goodman Lantern, a team of natives, native English content writing services that help businesses sell better, grow faster. He's an engineer by profession. He has founded three startups, raised capital, taken one venture from zero to acquisition. Raj, welcome. Ethan, good to be here. Good, good to be here with you hanging out. Absolutely. I mean, I love talking to product people. So today it's going to be a pleasure. I can't wait. So what I want you to do is basically tell the people about yourself. You know, the floor is yours. Thank you, sir. So, um, well, as, as, as you kindly mentioned, uh, this is my third business. My name is Raj. Uh, I live in the UK with my, with my, my family, my, my wife, my daughter, um, Currently, on, and I founded a company called Goodman Lantern. We are a English content writers. Uh, we primarily help customers sell better and grow faster based on telling a story and really helping our customers tell their business, their core values, their mission, their vision in their own words. We help them scale that up with our teams. Um, this was founded because in my previous business, I actually took the, the, the actual venture which I joined uh, as, a, as a product and innovation uh, manager, became the CEO eventually, and took them from seven and a half million euros to 45 million uh, wow. in, in, in revenue. So uh, in the back of telling good stories, in the back of you know, using content to really tell their, their mission, their vision. And I know that really works for B2B companies. I wanted to kind of scale that up and allow other people to also have the benefit of using content in that way. Yeah. Wow. I mean, what kind of, what got you into that field in the first place? Like you're, you're very well-spoken. So I could tell you've put a lot of emphasis on being able to tell better stories. You know, you're definitely on brand there, but what was kind of the origin story of that? Well, bizarrely enough, um, storytelling was not part of what I trained to become. I actually trained to become an AI engineer. Wow. 15, 15 years back, I was studying AI when people didn't even know what AI, AI was. My mom thought AI was the study of UFOs. <laughs> so it's, it shows you know, where we were with AI. And today, fast forward AI is you know, pretty much bread and butter of innovation, especially in social media and technology. So, um, that was, so I was never a storyteller. I was more of an engineer. Um, but I really enjoyed building startups uh, right out of, uh, you know, right out of the gate from the university. I was, I was keen to kind of start my own business. And I realized very quickly that actually, you know, it's not about what you know, it's about what you make people feel. And that feeling is really important. And, and for that, you need to be a communicator. You need to be somebody who's really passionate about telling your story, your company's story, and, and not, not feel so shy to go you know, and roof jobs and, and scream about your business and, 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 your, and your passion for what you do. So um, that's how I began. I started my first company in social media software, uh, which unfortunately didn't go as I planned. Then I wrote a book for Financial Times and Peace and Education. Then I got a job in, in Spain, as, as I mentioned, innovation and, and, and product, product director and, and manager, uh, which I then scaled up to, to become a CEO. I also founded a company in events, which I sort of started um, as a part-time, as a hobby. And I took that business um, from like a startup 
to acquisition, actually, it was a company around bachelorette parties. So it was very unusual for, a, for an engineer to start a bachelorette party company, but it was more around selling bachelorette parties online through good SEO, again, through good content. And um, I took it from, you know, three, three services or three packages in, in one city called Brighton in the UK and scaled it up to 45 um, products or services in 35 cities across Europe. So that business became one of the, the fastest growing uh, no, number one company in dance-based bachelorette party companies. And that was then acquired eventually. And that was, it was a good sale for me. And I learned a lot from the whole sort of founding to uh, the acquisition. Wow. I mean, you're shattered, <laughs> just completely shattering any kind of stereotype that people can say, because when it comes to like engineers and software engineers, I was just seeing like stuff on TikTok today about computer science engineers saying like intro to sunlight is the most difficult class I've ever done, <laughs> like going out and talking to people. Right. And that's not true at all. And you definitely epitomize that. You're like, OK, yeah, I work on AI, some of the most difficult technology. But here I am out in the field talking to people and starting businesses around speaking to people, telling stories. And I mean, that's that's awesome, man. What has been kind of the biggest roadblock, though? A lot of success in your background, but honestly, talk to, talk about kind of the the biggest roadblocks that you had to overcome to get there. Ethan, as, as I'm sure you, you're aware, for, for an entrepreneur, for a business owner, you can have a, a, a great a great hour, uh, a crap hour, a, a mediocre hour in the same hour. And you can have like all that, it's like the, the British weather. You can have all the weathers in like one hour itself. And that's just the way, you know, our lives, you know, become because we are constantly challenged by, you know, scaling up, for example, or for instance, you know, helping our teams perform better, make our customers succeed all the time. So it's, it's always been challenging. I think the first challenge I came across was um, like thinking beyond just your own product, your own service. It's about really getting out there and understanding the customer's needs. It's about understanding what they're really after. I think many a times as, as product managers, as IT professionals, as, as business owners, we forget that at the end, our role is to solve a problem for our customer. It's not to sell a business not to sell our product, not to sell our services, to help them solve the problem. So everything we do today is to, in the language which they understand, and it's about helping them solve a, a an itch, an issue, and we use our service to fix that issue. It's not the other way around. It's not like they're going to fit our product or service into their business. We do the, the required work to fit ourselves, to really help our customers win every day. Absolutely. Spoken like a true product professional right there. <laughs> Customer obsession. That's that's what really comes into play. And that's why you've been so successful. You think about what product you're creating from the eyes of the end consumer. And that's super important. What have been, you know, this is a good segue into this question. What what has been like your most successful customer discovery efforts to help validate your ideas and then perform user research to make sure it, it really is doing the thing that you want it to do? Well, prior to join, starting Goodman Lantern and, 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 and joining this, this lovely company I, I founded, um, we, I used to work in, in Europe and we used to kind of go in and sell in concepts. So basically the, the company was in the space of um, customer support. So we would help our customers with their, their, their hardware, their software, 
so if you are, for example, a, a, a bank or insurance company, you would have to give away like gifts to your, your customers to retain them and to keep them loyal. And typically they will, will go and buy, you know, cinema tickets. So they will go and buy, you know, these kind of uh, plastic, like happy meal deal kind of toys. And that was not a great way to retain your customers. So it was to kind of find a service to fit the need. So they would bolt on our service, which was a, a comprehensive 24 seven um, support service. So as an end user of a customer of an insurance company, you would get your support for your iPhones, your laptops, your your VCR, your DVD player, whatever you can think of, we'll support everything for you. Now, when I joined the company, it, they were just doing, you know, 2010, and they were just doing PC support. And, and I'm like, guys, you know, it, it, this is a wave of, of, of smartphones. You know, you've got to be ready with smartphones, uh, Mac, for example. Think about smart televisions. I mean, I know this is a thing of, of the future, but it's coming away. You know, be prepared for this. If you start preparing for this today, you will win customers left, right, and center. And, and trust me, the, the, the year I joined them, we saw a massive growth because we can tell them stories about what we are doing in terms of innovation. Before the product is launched by Apple, you're thinking about supporting that, that tool itself, that, 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 that software, that product itself. And that gave us a lot of leverage. So you could sell in actually even the stuff which is which was perhaps not that innovative because they believed in our innovation, our way of thinking, and our, and our futuristic thought process about a product or service. And, and this is what we did. I mean, I, I would go into, to, into companies and we would actually sell in a, a product we, ha we haven't even built yet, uh, but they just trusted us with a, with a vision and a focus. And typically we'll go and, you know, go and raise basically a couple of million uh, from them in the back of an idea, which we obviously built and delivered to them and give them exclusivity here sometimes as well. So it was, it was a great business to be a part of. That's one of the hardest things to ever do right there. You're, uh, what is it? You're, you're basically selling on white paper, right? Because you have kind of the writing and the plan, like, here's what we're going to do. Do you trust us enough to purchase it? Is it valuable enough if we were to execute it? And that's a, that's a master salesman right there, people. I mean, that's, that's one of the hardest things you could ever do right there, but that's validation right there. Customer validation. They're willing to pay for the, the solution that you're going to create. So talk a little bit more about that. How did you know that, you know, that how were you so confident leading up to that? Because a lot of founders aren't, you know, they're like, no, I have to, you know, build out a fully, especially like engineer focused founders. They want to, they will never ship their, their product until it's perfect, you know? So talk about that a little bit, you know, how can they shift away from that mindset? Well, well, there are two different thought processes here. One is, you know, do A-B testing before you launch an offering. And the other one is, how do you A-B test something which is not yet created? Like, how did the CEO of Sony Walkman or the founder of the Apple iPhone, Steve Jobs, how did he go and do his A-B testing? And there was nothing else to test with. I mean, there's no competitor in the market. You're making your own market, basically. And People who create their own category or own product, or own service, or own niche or niche in the market can actually just jump right in based on their, their gut feel, their knowledge, and also a lot of learning. I mean, as a product person, I've always spent a lot of time learning. I spend, you know, copious number of hours just reading through, through, through white papers, um, articles, 
you know, videos on YouTube, for example, now, um, you know, I'm, I'm going through Blinkist, I'm going through books, and I often read books which are not linked to my subject directly. So I'll, I'll, I'll read about, for example, the Roman Empire. I think that's it's a fascinating empire to like learn from. And I use some of the learnings from generals and what they did that time to think about my company and how I should behave to build a futuristic organization, for instance. Similarly, for when it comes to building new products or services, I often get inspired by different niches and use those learnings into our niche. So for example, I often use, um, you know, like YouTube, for example, was a great inspiration, uh, you know, 10 years back when they had just launched. And I want to kind of use the video uh, how-tos within the space of knowledge bases for our customer support service, for example, which didn't exist at that time. I mean, it was, there was all this paper-based or like docs been built and they will share docs among themselves as customer support service would do. But we, I want to use videos and send videos to, to people when they had a problem because typically on your phone, the problems you see are very similar. They, you know, it's always like, you know, I have a problem with downloading this thing. I have a problem with like, for example, you know, connecting it to, to my laptop to, to get it to sync. So if we had this videos created already, you can actually save a lot of time customer support service and actually give them a unique tool to actually use, which was at that time pioneering in, in, in a space. Absolutely. Yeah. Drawing inspiration from kind of adjacent niches. That's, that's, that's innovation right there because, you know, it, when we're in one mindset for too long, it could become very stale. So that's great. Yeah. I don't know if you watch football, you're in the UK. Uh, I know it's starting to go over there a little bit more, but there's one head coach that's almost unanimously decided as the best head coach to have ever been in the league. And his leadership style comes from generals. He says, whenever he runs into an issue with leadership within the organization, he turns to military books and, and learns how generals have led like their troops. And I'm like, man, that's, that's awesome right there. That shows kind of why he's that stoic epitome of what a head coach should be. And you do the same thing. Uh, I actually want to segue now because what you just brought up was perfect. We've, we've spoken a little bit offline. You do a lot of social good, both within your organization and without, um, and, I'm starting to see kind of the source of that, why you started to shift that focus towards that. Talk about that a little bit. So Ethan, one thing which which I wanted to always do with this business was to actually not only help us make revenue for us and our teams, but also to give back, to have a legacy. And And the way I think about that is, you know, what can I do to really help the ecosystem which I'm in? And as, as, as I mentioned before, I'm in technology and there's a lot of, it's a very male dominated industry. It's, it's often, you know, you know, male board members, male CEOs and made mid, middle management, for example. And I want to change that because actually diversity is, is a good thing. It actually helps everybody. It helps not only the people who come into the company, but also to neutralize some of the conceptions we have at, at, at the board level, for example, or even mid-level mid as well. So this company, uh, our mission is to empower women and to hire more women. For example, in our company today, 90% of the, of the team members are, are women and they are in senior management, they're in mid-management, and they're, they come in junior levels as, as well. And so the aim really is to, to empower them, to make sure they get equal salaries to, to, the, to the male folk and actually 
help the industry to have more voices of women to help us neutralize this, this very macho kind of male dominated um, ecosystem which we are in. I believe that that is going to help us all to have a much fairer and, and a better way of looking forward. For example, if you, if you see the, the response to the pandemic, countries which had female uh, or women leadership outperformed their male, male counterparts almost every time. So there is something to be said about female leadership, and I think we should encourage that. Yeah, New Zealand, especially right now, has been in the news a lot. They have a, a correct me if I'm wrong, a woman prime minister, and they just uh, brought on an indigenous, I forgot what they're called here. Here we have senators and local leaders, but uh, basically the equivalent in New Zealand. And they have like, what was it, the lowest or the quickest rebound from COVID, like the lowest death rate from COVID. And that's, I mean, all of that I'm on the same page with because I know that, you know, my mindset is very like testosterone driven, right? Like I have that focus on growth and I want to grow fast and having kind of that counterpart, that different vision is very important to me because women have certain skills and certain mindsets that, you know, we're that just don't come natural to us, you know, as males. So it's important to have both sides of that. Um, yeah, I mean, props to you for not just talking about change, but being the change. And I hope to definitely epitomize that moving forward. Um, talk about now, you know, like what what is your focus for the for 2021? It's almost uh, well, it's not almost New Year's, but we have two weeks. But, you know, it, everyone's shifting focus towards the new year and hopefully it will be a lot better of a year than 2020. What is your focus? Well, well, this year has been a tough year for everybody. Um, it's It's been tough for us as well, but we have grown a lot, both as a company in terms of our financials, but also in terms of what we learn from our, our, our teams, our customers. Um, and going to next year, we actually realized that actually we are a very strong company because we are built to resist the pandemic, the financial um, you know, downturns, for instance. We, we, we've been strong, actually, the growth has been you know, relentless. It's actually just kept going on from last year to this year. Um, next year, our vision really is to scale up even further. Um, my personal ambition is to kind of be focused more on um, building a better team. So we currently have a, have a great team in, the, in place and they are absolutely awesome. But I think one thing which I currently sort of want to focus on is to kind of pass on all the bits and bobs to the team itself, which I have done with most of my company uh, parts. The sales part, I'm still kind of working on. I'm still part of the sales team. They want to kind of hand over somebody else and just say, you know what, here you go. Oh, that's the last bit of Gundaland and I, I hand over to you and I can just kind of focus on more sort of helicopter view. Uh, and also, you know, my mission really has been to work on the business, not in the business, which I've been doing from, from, the, last, from the last year. So. This year has been completely you know, hands off as it works up sales. Next year, I want to be more sort of even more helicopter view, uh, focusing on more growth, growth opportunities, maybe within the company, looking at different areas and um, helping your customers win every day. And that, that's what I, I live for. I, I live to make sure my customers are happy. Uh, I make sure you know, that that is in parallel with our teams winning every day because it's, it's the teams who are happy. If they're, if they're happy, if they're winning, I can't win on them as well. So it's a bit of both. Um, 
clients and teams, see them grow better, faster, and for myself to be a bit more hands-off in further so, and actually be focused on new innovation and uh, new opportunities. Yeah, as as the CEO, right? You know, this is a commonly uh, touched on topic, but it's such a delicate balance, right? Like, how do you balance between working in your business and on it? Because it's kind of a cycle, right? From my understanding, I'm going to give you my assumptions, and I want you to talk as someone who has done it. You know, you have to work in your business to a certain extent to understand the procedures, and then you kind of hire to replace yourself based on the procedures you've done, what you've noticed, and people who are specialists who could do it much better. Then you kind of move, you know, out of out of the scope, identify new procedures that need to be replaced. You step into that, whether it's marketing, sales, you know, product development, whatever, and then you replace yourself and then move back on and and kind of look at it from a helicopter view. How do you balance and how do you like, do you have a formula for deciding when to step in and when to step out? Well, I wouldn't say it's a formula, but I would say this is what I've been doing and, and I've seen it to work really well is, is the first step really is to find team members who sort of have the same passion as, as one does as a company founder. So, you know, having the same passion, the same core values. So when we hire our team members, apart from the skill sets, you know, what they uh, can bring to the table, we look at the, you know, the, their core values match our core values, which is, you know, they are, they are looking at integrity, experimentation, improvement. These are our core values. And, and when people are in the same way, then they, they represent the company. The first 40 employees of, of a company are the company's founder anyway. So the people who bring in initially, they have to be the right fit for the company. And the aim is to then delegate the, the, the actual task. Once I've done you know, the initial bet on them, for example, and I can only go to, to you know, just so much because I'm not a content, content writer, I'm not a you know, designer, I'm not a UX professional. There are people who are much smarter, much better than, than I could ever be in these areas. So my aim is to help them bring them leadership skills, uh, knowledge about running a company, and then with their knowledge uh, in, in the area they specialize in and the management, skill, management skills, they become a winning combination. And then it's then to encourage them, help them improve, help them experiment, and be always be true to the word towards themselves and towards the customer and the other team members. So that's what it's all about. And and you know, every day I think about how can what can I do to help encourage my team members more? How can I empower them more? And if you do that in the right way, I know they they will be with us and they'll help us to the next next level. Absolutely. Spoken like a well well-educated and well-experienced founder, someone who has to, you're kind of responsible for like employee development, right? You have to make sure that they're growing within the organization and you're definitely conscious about that. That's awesome. So, you know, one, one question that it's almost like a, a, you know, a brain teaser or like a, you know, a practical assessment. It's almost like an interview here. I'm going to give you a little challenge. And for founders, you kind of have to uh, use your imagination here based on the industry, but if you were a new founder in, let's just say the software niche, how would you find your first 10 users or customers in your opinion or experience? What has been like kind of the best, most, uh, let's say, feasible way to go about it? Well, uh, so the question, Ethan, is how would you find the first 10 customers when you have a service or product already first that? Let's just say first 10 users. They don't even have to be customers, customers, just your early adopters that are trying out the the service and you know, they just kind of want to, you know, to get 
user research. They want to collect data points on it. Well, I, I think I think the first the first uh, protocol which which I followed in and I've started SaaS businesses and I've started you know B two B businesses and B two C businesses is the first step really is to to really understand what the offering is and what the USB of the of the business really is. Like why would someone buy that product or service? Uh, and then when you understand what the USB really is, is then to articulate that in a way people understand um then it is to figure out who is that where is that niche or niche sitting so if i'm targeting for example baseball fans then where do, where do these fans hang out what where do they kind of get together i mean not physically because now it's probably difficult to do that anyway but more sort of online for example or for instance you know you know if there was uh, a, a space which where there was all these people I mean together anyway, how can you get there and sort of engage with these people, for example? Then it's combining that 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 place where you found these people and the unique proposition to, to convince them that there's something unique here. So you know I often believe that it's about business karma. So it's about sort of first giving, then you receive something from them. And so my first step always is to kind of give them something for free. You know, try this out, for example, or, 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 you know, this is something which I, I've given, giving, giving to you for free for life. You can, you can use it, you can abuse it, do what you want to do with it. Um, and the back of that, I might sell you something else in the future. But for now, what I want to do is just give you something, something nice to, to, to try out and use. So that builds a trust within, within them. So now you have a, a, a customer, you have a, have a niche, you know where they hang out you have a, a USB within that product itself and you have trust which you build with them because you're giving for free. Because they start to trust you more because you have, you are an, someone who is happy to be open about things as well. So that is the way I have built stuff. I mean, most of the businesses, I began them from scratch. Uh, most of them were self-funded. Most of them were bootstrapped, for example. So I believe it's all about, it, you, we have all that we need really into this economy and world to make a business go from zero to million, 10 million, 100 million. It's about how we get our teams together, we build something exciting and then engage our customers to, in, to part with the cash, for example. That's how you go from a successful AI engineer to bootstrap founder of an event-based business from <laughs> zero bootstrap to acquisition. That is awesome, man. I mean, I've, I've had a pleasure talking to you today. I mean, the, the social good that you're also doing with your success is setting a good example for entrepreneurs because sometimes they're painted in a negative light, you know, driving the fancy nice car is not giving, you know, a care about anyone else. You're the complete opposite of that, man. So thank you for being one of the good ones. I want you to let people know how can they find you? Well, if you look uh, for me, Raj Goodman Anand on LinkedIn, um, you know, feel free to add me on LinkedIn and and say hi. We can also Google uh, Goodman Lantern. That's the company, goodmanlantern.com. And you can find a contact page and, and drop me a line. I'm always happy to hear from people. So feel free to drop me an email or a message on LinkedIn. Awesome. Raj, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Ethan, for the opportunity. Really appreciate it.